This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, hello Allah, and welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. What does it take to climb the world's highest summit? This hour, you are going to be meeting the woman who became the first Lebanese female to do just that and climb Mount Everest at 26 years of age. Tima Darian will be joining me to share her story and tell us how she did it right here on Life Feats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Female mountaineer Fatima Ortima Darian last month made history by becoming the first Lebanese woman to scale Mount Everest. The UAE resident reached the summit of the tallest mountain in six out of the world's seven peaks at the age of 26. In what was a proud moment not only for herself but for her home country. It was only four years ago that Tima first discovered her passion for mountain climbing and when she scaled Mount Elbrus, she realised that she wanted to become a mountaineer. To tell us how she did it, I'm so excited to welcome to the studio Tima Dirian. Welcome. Thank you. So great to have you. First of all, mabrook, alf mabrook. Shukran, habibi. Thank you so much. How incredible. Uh, it's been a month. Uh, it's been exactly one month now. So I'm, I'm still um, looking back at it and looking back at it, like it's just, I still can't believe it. This is what you wrote, in fact, on your Instagram. You said, my dream became a reality. I made it to the highest point in the world, Mount Everest, that stands at 8,848 meters. I thought summiting was a major bonus of my ex- expedition, but it turns out that I made it as the first Lebanese woman. Unplanned, unexpected, it was the cherry on top. Yeah. Hang on a minute. What do you mean? You didn't realize? <laughs> nah. See, the thing is, um, all right, so when I planned Everest, there's other Lebanese girls who are also planning Everest at the same time. So it happened that they were in different expedition and I was in a different one. Um, so we started, and I actually started before them in like two weeks, but because my acclimatization process was completely different than theirs, we had to climb a mountain before Everest. And then uh, some rotation they left before me, um, and I thought that's it. Like, obviously, one of them is going to take it, which is amazing. And I'm not there for that, literally. So um, so I went up the summit and I didn't see them. So I assumed that they went down because like, they went ahead of us. And then when I came down, I see my team clapping and cheering. And I'm like, yeah, obviously, because it's for the summit, right? They're like, no, you made it as the first Lebanese woman because it's good for the agency I was with, right? The tour guide. So I was shocked. I'm like, there's no way because I'm sure they, they, they're like ahead of us. They're probably down. You guys missed out on something. And then I saw them on Camp 4 and um, it was nice. They were so sweet. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know until I came down. That's incredible. What was that feeling like? I mean, first of all, what was the feeling like of being on the summit of Everest and making it there? What were your feelings in that moment? I always say this joke, but it's lame now. I always say I was really cold, but like, look, summiting Everest, um, it's something, yeah? 
at that moment you're not very focused and plus in my situation on the 22nd of May I've, I'm sure you've seen that uh, line of people I was yes. stuck there for around four hours Whoa! so like when I got to the summit I was really frustrated from the whole traffic jam thing um, but yeah I stood up there I looked down and you just see the whole world and like what's funny is when you try to take a picture that your background is blue because you're at the top of the world there's nothing higher than that so that your surrounding is just blue it's all uh, the sky <laughs> and you look down and it's just beautiful it's like full of mountains the landscape you're, you're on cloud level and then it gets messy because it becomes really windy so every time a cloud passed by from there so i was there for around 25 minutes and i'm like yeah that's it and i went down Wow. that I mean, just incredible. You're at temperatures of like minus 40 degrees or something? Around, yeah. That is just unbelievable. I mean, you know, for a lot of us, obviously we've never climbed mountains like this. What is that like? What are the kind of challenges that you've got, you know, that you're facing? Okay. So before I decided to climb Mount Everest, I climbed around 17 mountains, right? Those mountains... In four years? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> You're just like up and down, up and yeah. down, up and down. That's crazy. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so those mountains was the main preparation, in my opinion, for, for Everest. Because preparing for Everest is not just fitness. And definitely, it's a big one, fitness. So mentally, physically. But also, you need to go through a mountain to understand whether you like it or not. So I was sleeping in a tent for two months. I was in sub-zero environment for a very long time. Um, like, you're sleeping on ground the water is different I'm, I'm i'm drinking melted snow um the food is different everything is different so you've i've tried all these but in different stages on different mountains and it all was there on everest um so like the, the, the i was ready for it and i wouldn't have taken such a step if i wasn't because everest is the big one it's not the most dangerous one it's definitely the highest one but when you sleep at 6500 meters altitude it was my first time to sleep at the altitude on everest it was weird like what does that feel like it, like my the air is thin it's very thin what, and like, like do you have trouble breathing what yeah. does it feel like yeah so if i get out of my tent to go to the big tent to eat with my teammates i would be panting Wow. If like I need to be careful with how I, I'm walking, like when I'm eating, when I'm drinking. You have to be really slow kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the higher you go, the slower you get. So like when we got to camp three, uh, so on summit rotation, this is where I had to sleep on oxygen. Because it's really difficult to I've breathe I've seen a photo there. of you, like, with your oxygen tank, like, hugging it like it's a baby. <laughs> and it, literally, it's like, it's your lifeline. Uh, it is, it is. Some people, there's like 1%, I think, in the world who have done it without oxygen. So a big salute for those people. I don't know how they do it. Man, I took off the oxygen mask, I swear, for like three minutes. I, I felt like I'm blacking out, I'm dizzy, I'm nauseous. All those worst feelings in the world just gets to you because mm. the air is really... If, um, I, I wish I can demonstrate to you how you can breathe. You know, like you're br breathing through small tubes and it's really tough. I tried it. No, there's no way I would do an 8,000 without oxygen. And you were like fighting a cough, I think, as well. I was, I was reading in your blog, yeah. like you were coughing and man, if I got bronchitis down here, that's bad enough, <laughs> let alone up there. How do you even like yeah. do that? Oh my gosh. The Are you cough, on meds? What's uh, happening? No. So, okay. What's really nice about Everest, on Everest Basecamp, there's something called the Everest ER. So you go get checked up there. 
Um, so when they checked me, they told me I have bronchitis, and obviously I got too emotional about that because oh, I was worried. Oh, uh, but then it was the kumbu cough. Which develops into bronchitis, and it and it's just the the cold air you're inhaling is not easy, and when you're sleeping, it's really cold. Sometimes it drops down to minus 25, and that's you sleeping, right? So whatever you're breathing is extremely cold, and you wake up inside the tent and it's full of frost. So, so it's not easy. So like I, I, I there was it was really hard for me to avoid it, but yeah, I was stuck with the cough throughout. But luckily, on my summit day. I always say that I think I've received so much prayers from all around the world and thanks for everyone. Man, I was so strong on summit day. I think summit day was the strongest day out of all my days on the mountain. It, was it maybe you as well just going, this is it. Yeah, this is my chance. Probably. I'm not going to blow this. This is it and, for me. Yeah. And the oxygen was a game changer, I must say. <laughs> you <laughs> like, to have the oxygen. I was so You're crazy. And I love it. <laughs> you know, I love how crazy you are. Um, I want to ask you, where... How did this all start for you? Why do you want to climb mountains in the first place? So I've been into sports since I was young. Um, uh, I was into fitness in general, running, swimming, basketball teams. And then when I went to the university, I was more into bodybuilding, whatever I could afford back then, right? And I, I love did that you try everything. Like it sounds like it's like across the board. You're like going from basketball to bodybuilding. Yeah. It's like what? Yeah. And then uh, I did scuba diving. I got my license and became an advanced scuba diver. And then I'm like, okay, but I still don't feel I'm inside my element under the water. Mm. So I'm like skydiving. So I took my skydiving. I got my license. And then I'm like, I still don't feel I'm inside my element <laughs> in the air. <laughs> and then um, I'm like, you know what? There's I I went. Uh, to, um, so I used to work in a corporate, uh, I had a corporate job and I was fi- I was organizing the event with my colleagues and then um, there's the man called Omar Samra, he's the first uh, Egyptian man to climb Everest and he said his speech. Yeah. But then something clicked in me because my, uh, I, I traveled a lot to Nepal with my family. My dad uh, goes there oftenly and uh, I told them once I'm going to fly over Everest. But it was a dormant dream and I, I forgot about it. And then when when I saw his talk and what happened there, I looked, I'm like, like this, this was what I said I wanted to do. And I still have the certificate since I was 14 years old that I flew over Everest. I didn't climb. So I'm like, I went back, I saw the certificate. I'm like, okay, um, I, I want to climb Everest. So I called my dad. I was stuck in traffic on 311. And I'm like, dad, where are you at? He's like, I'm in Nepal. I'm like, I'm climbing Everest. <laughs> and then he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, look, I'm stuck in traffic and I'm thinking about this really seriously right now. He's like, what? I'm like, I'm climbing Everest. Get me the details. So he did get me details. And uh, almost somebody really helped me out with how to figure out my way. And I started with him on Elbrus, and I'm like, okay, I got the cheapest stuff. I'm like, I, I just want to try it because you don't want to invest because then it's expensive. The, uh, mountaineering is an expensive sport. Absolutely. So I didn't get really, really top-notch equipment and gear and clothing, and I went there, and I felt so good on altitude, and I felt like I swear my body was made for this. And this is when I dropped everything else in terms of sports, and I, I've been just climbing for the past four years now. That's a, the, incredible. The, what was it that feeling, you know, up there when you got to the top of Elbrus and you were just like, this is it for me. I am finally in my element. Yeah. What is it about being up there? I so nev- I. I never cried when I reached any destination. I never had those emotions. And Elbrus is the only mountains I shed a tear. It was the only, but I don't shed a tear on any mountain. Like I reach Everest and I, I'm like, oh, I want to cry. <laughs> but I didn't work. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> like it's the big thing. But on Everest, it was the first time like like I felt like I'm like because it's on mountains, you put so much effort, okay, in in a specific amount of time. And your heart, your soul is into the climb. You're taking one step at a time and all you care about is surviving. You need to eat well, you need to sleep well, and you need to drink a lot of water. And on the trail, you need to look where you're putting your foot at. And I think this is how life is in general, if you want to take it outside the mountain. But when you get to the top, all this hard work is just gone. Like, you don't remember how hard it was. Same thing with Everest. When I when I came down, I'm like, okay, obviously I had to be really focused because coming down was harder than going up. Um, yeah, I'm gonna ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. but then w- now, like g- looking back at it, like I feel I'm I'm above the world all the time. Like, like I'm on top of the world, um, in a humble way, obviously. <laughs> um, and it feels nice. It's like self satisfaction. I'm happy. Wow. It's incredible. Again, you're crazy and we love it. (laughs) But that's fantastic. You know, everybody needs to have uh, those big, incredible dreams and goals. And we love it. We are with Tima Delian. She is the first Lebanese woman to scale Mount Everest. We're in conversation with her. More to come next right here on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. The absolutely awesome Tima Dirian is here and she is sharing her journey of summiting, not just Everest, but her passion for mountaineering because you're not going to stop at Everest. You're like, I'm really just getting started. Yeah, there's a lot to do for a mountain. There's so many mountains around the world. So the seven summits, there's eight, uh, 14 mountains above 8,000 meters. Because we just think above 8,000, it's it's Everest. You know, that's the biggest one, right? No, it's just the highest one, right. but it's not the toughest one. And it's not the most scenic one. There's different mountains and every mountains would like give you something. And there's something I do. I collect energies from mountains. So every mountain I go on, there's a certain thing that clicks in me, which is a new energy, I believe. And you bring that back <laughs> yeah. with you and you give it to everybody else. Which we love so much, but you know that there's so much to doing this kind of thing, being a mountaineer and climbing the world's highest summit. You know, you, you have your support team, um, but you know, also, what was your parents' reaction to to all of this? You know, in terms of letting you go up the mountain. Hello, my parents have been suffering for a while since I was young. And it started with the bungee jumps, with scuba diving, with skydiving. So every time I would come up with a new sport, they'd be like, Ya Allah, Shahad bin Allah. What are we going to do with her? Okay, let her be because obviously she's not going to listen and still want to do it. So when it started with Elbers, they were obviously very worried. But their main thing is, and it's a requirement and a promise, you need to call every day. If not called, we need to see a text and it's from you. So I made that premise. I got my satellite phone. I never disconnect. I disconnected, I think, twice and it was horrible. Yeah. But um, they're very supportive. So when it came to Everest, because they got used to it. It's been four years. Khalas team was going to climb a mountain. Eh, okay, you know, they got used to it. So they, they were yeah, just like, yeah. Do it. When do you it. said Everest, they were like, yeah, we knew this was coming. Hey. It was just like one of those things. <laughs> so I'm like, Khalas, it's ever. And by the way, um, my dad is the one. I wasn't planning to climb it in 2019 
on my birthday, my dad comes up and uh, he just uh, did his speech saying, oh, uh, I want everybody to pray for Tima because she's going to climb Everest in March. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, it wasn't planned for March. What are you talking about? He's like, no, 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 you're, you're going in March. This is your birthday surprise. Because like, obviously I had my savings and my money and everything, but I needed the, the support with a down payment. I'm like, dude, I, I don't have it. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm supporting you in this. So like they pushed me to actually do it. And my mom was beyond happy to hear the news. It's not like, oh my God, she's going to climb. It's the complete opposite. It's like, finally, it's her dream. And like, but the thing is, what's funny, they still don't know. Everest is the start of the new thing. It doesn't end there. <laughs> they think, I know, yalla, she'll climb Everest and like, she will be done with the sport. <laughs> but they're never going to hear the end of it, which, you know, that, that's amazing. Um, but it, talk to us about the, the Seven Summit Challenge. You know, what is that for the people who don't know? Okay. So the Seven Summits is the highest mountain in every continent. So we have seven continents, mm. right? So I've done six out of the seven summits so far and I'm still pending with the Antarctica. But then you have the Explorer Grand slam which is a nice project in the mountaineering society which is skiing the north pole and the south pole and completing the seven summits so like you're all over the world right around the world now it's like the ultimate experience no because there is the 14 8000 there is which is 14 mountains above 8000 meters okay. that's like that's the above ultimate okay yeah. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Um, and all of that, you're probably going to finish before you turn 30 at the rate that you're going. <laughs> Unbelievable. What, like, where do you get that energy from? Like that just kind of, um, you know, unstoppable spirit. I think it's just in me. Uh, like, look, for me, I cannot wake up in the morning not knowing what I'm doing, at least for the next. I have my week planned. I'm not strictly with the schedule, but I need to know what's going on next. Otherwise, I really feel down. And same thing with the mountains. I need to plan my next mountain on the mountain. Otherwise, if I come back and I don't know what I'm doing next, you'll see a different person. You won't see this energy. You won't see that. Like it's it becomes sad because I want to continue to feel the sense of achievement in human beings is crazy when you feel you've achieved something no matter what it is like for me mountains yeah uh, some people t- uh, revenue target uh, i don't know when you achieve that it just gives you the sense of confidence and strength and power that you can use in a really good way to give back to the community and this is how we grow as a society in my opinion so this unstoppable thing is is j- just happens because i'm planning 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 and goals 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 achievements all the time yeah yeah and and summiting every time you summit you're like <gasps> new new yeah. energy new feelings new <laughs> things you want to do which is fantastic but uh, that's you know you brought us to a really important point that you're actually a finance manager and an entrepreneur as well yeah this is something that you do yeah. it doesn't compare obviously you <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound as passionate about it. I don't that. like it. <laughs> well, I need to make money, right? <laughs> I, I'm sure you could find a way of combining the two, becoming an entrepreneur, something to do with climbing mountains. Inshallah, let's see. I hope so. I hope so. Let's talk a little bit about um, you being so passionate about um, Arab women. And, you know, th- this is something that you talk about a lot Um they have to go through a lot of obstacles. And then when you want to be a mountaineer, you want to scale all of these mountains. Uh, <laughs> it, the way that people look at it isn't always in the best light, is it? Yeah. yeah. So like coming coming to the, to, the, to the Arabic woman, sports, Middle East, those, those buzzy words right now. Mm. Okay. I believe the Arab woman is going through a transition right now. We were, I wouldn't say like... 
it's not easy for us coming from different cultures and all that. We all have different cultures in our in the Middle Eastern parts. Yeah. But like we are rising up and we can see it and everybody can see it. But let's not deny it, right? I'm rising, I'm I'm contributing through mountains. Other women are doing amazing in business, different sports, swimming, skating, running. They are representing their country's name outside internationally. At, we are at an international level now. And why not continue that? We just need support, obviously, from the Middle East. And not. we need to be taken a bit more serious, in my opinion, because we are putting a lot of hard work. And representing the image of an Arab woman is something, in my opinion. Because, like, the, like, like she, she is strong. And when we look at the Western, I don't want to say it in the wrong way, but when they look back at us, already women empowerment is happening around the world. But Arabic woman empowerment, I still get asked, uh, are you allowed to travel alone? Uh, you can still do this. You can. Uh, what What does your family think about that? Um, will your dad be happy? Is that, uh, you know, these questions are so like, dude, I'm educated. I've, I've been working hard. I trained whatever the way you want to train. And the funniest question in the Middle East is, how do you feel? How do you feel uh, climbing Everest as a girl, as, as a female? <laughs> like, just like any other human being, I think. <laughs> like, how would I feel? I'm like, it's, it's exactly like how the men feel and how it's climbing this, as a climber. So uh, representing the Middle Eastern woman image, I think I want to take it like as part of my own responsibility because it's not nice to be looked down at and it's not nice to be underestimated. It's just not nice and it's unfair. And there's something that we see empowered women now in our society. But what is the percentage of them that are giving back and really empowering other women? There is like 80% in the Middle East that we don't know about. In, in the UAE, we are empowered women. Yeah, but outside the UA, like if we look at other different countries, they are still suffering, and I think our jobs is to give back. See, that's the incredible thing that you just uh, picked up on as well. You know that we've had to fight for so long and here in the Middle East what's really interesting is uh, we have so many uh, women in the UAE who are in top leadership positions right Uh, you know in Lebanon there are powerful women across this region there are powerful women in so many different um, uh, positions and and places you are out there you are giving a voice to these women Um, does it surprise you that we are still having to have this conversation over and over again not really I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's it's just crazy. Look at the Middle East and other countries. Mm. The Middle East is always behind, right? So they think Middle Eastern women are always behind, which is sad. No disrespect to anyone, but which is sad. And by the way, we are not behind. We are catching up really fast. Yeah. Like super fast. Yeah, yeah. And we're doing really well right now. No. So it's sad. No, I'm not surprised. But like it's not. And also it's not fighting. The thing is we need to have a collective teamwork in our communities in order to grow together because um uh god i lost myself (laughs) (laughs) i want to ask you about you know um when you meet kids Mm. and they see you and what you've done you know what's their reaction it's my favorite i've done a couple of talks with kids uh i think um it's just beautiful you feel like the next generation is going to be something very big they have a lot of questions they know a lot once i was challenged by this 80 year old kid which is the highest mountain and he's like it's not everest it's the one in hawaii because he was calculating it from sea level (laughs) (laughs) and i'm just like i don't even know that (laughs) 
it's uh, they're very smart and um, connecting with them is is just beautiful. What's the funniest question you've ever got from kids about your climbing? Um, it's, it's always the question about the toilets. How do you go to the toilet up there? <laughs> <laughs> That's the question and you have to explain. Yeah, very technical. Yeah. Very technical yes. issues <laughs> for the simplest stuff. Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. We're going to come back uh, and continue the conversation with Team Darian right here on Live Feeds on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95. The amazing Tima Darian is here and we're talking mountaineering. But you know, obviously a lot of people talk about climbing mountains as um, a metaphor for life. So for you, you know, what are the, the mountains that you've, you've had to climb, the challenges that you've had, you know, in your life? And, and, and how does mountain climbing compare to that and inspire you in that? So all the mountains that I climbed had a lesson to teach me, yeah. mostly patience. If you see me four years ago, I'm the most impatient person. Like I can feel your energy. You're like <laughs> fidgety and you just want to go, go, go. <laughs> but like now I counted like 100 before I speak. I considered what I'm going to say. It changes you a lot because there's a lot of patience games on the mountain. Besides that, the mind games, mind over matter. I, I really believe into that. It's, it's your mind give up before your, your, your body gives up before your mind. No, your mind gives up before your body. But you still have energy, right? You just need to do a lot of mind games and how to block certain thoughts and, and, and how to take in certain energy and think about what you want to think. You're just controlling your mind in a certain way. On altitude, it gets really dif- difficult. It's not easy. You can't control what you think at one point. And you just, it's just weird sometimes. But when you come back to sea level... It's different. This time I'm still waiting. It's been a month and I don't know what are the changes. I've been a little bit furious ever since I came back from Everest. But um, it does connect a lot with the real life on the mountain. And like for me, the mountain that I learned from the most is Aconcagua. I did it back in 2016. In December, I went. Um, I was way too overconfident, and it was my second mountain. Everything in the world said, no, don't go. But um, I, I said, I want to go. That means I'm, I'm going no matter what happens. Um, so I convinced, I tried convincing my dad. It was really tough because he, they were still worried about me going there. And I had to send emails. I had to do presentations. I had to do talks. Uh, it was horrible. But then uh, he knows, like, when I put something in my head, that's it. So he's like, okay, fine, go. So I went there. And after uh, 18 days of climbing, uh, I was extremely exhausted. I had altitude sickness. And the mountain was really high because I went to 6,962 meters. That was my aim. But I made it to 6,400 meters. I was throwing up. I was very nauseous all the time, very sick. I lost a crown, tooth crown because of the pressure. Everything in the world said and I need to go down. Your tooth popped out. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, um, there was nothing in the world that was saying you can continue. And I always promised my parents that I, I will not do something stupid and the only thing I would think about is them in such situations and it's really hard because if I'm not thinking about them I would still risk it and I would still continue right but like then I said no I'm, I will come back so I turned around at 6400 meters it was very it was a really really tough decision um, I did a video in 2016 which I still love uh, and I said I know I turned back uh, I promised myself I'm not going to stop because I'm in love with the mountains. This is not going to destroy me. This is just going to make me stronger. 
And uh, I didn't go into depression only after like a month. I realized, oh, I don't make it. <laughs> it was a month <laughs> until I realized. But then I got over it. And then I saw myself on Kilimanjaro and I felt strong again. And I just got it all. So th- this have taught me so many things with the overconfidence. It's really bad to be over. It's nice to be confident. Just don't overdo it. Yeah. See what I like. It's so sad because I trained for like six months and I paid so much money. I went to the other side of the world, to South America. And then I came back and I did the summit. But I came back with a lot of lessons. And this is how now I'm able to summit. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Every mountain I've been on ever since uh, that incident, I summited. Yeah. And even on Everest, like this incident was always in my head. Like, look, I will turn back. I know I paid so much into this. I've been training for a long time. This is the biggest dream. But I will turn back if I have to turn back. I need to remind myself this because this is how people die on Everest most of the time. I, I need to ask you about that because this year, you know, last month, uh, we saw a lot of headlines around that, around the number of people who died. And this was interesting because it was that they died coming back down yeah. the mountain as well. What was happening there? You know, why were so many people, you know, losing their lives in this situation? So there's a number of factors. I hate this death subject, but like it's the truth. Uh, so first one is inexperience you see people doing Everest for their first time second one overconfidence exactly what I went through third thing is it's said that the Ministry of Tourism in Nepal doesn't have specific requirements before you climb Everest mm. the uh, what do you call it the permit costs $11,000 and uh, like, anybody can get it exactly that's crazy yeah. when you consider the kind of training that you need exactly the understanding of, of the environment where you are that is insane anybody can do I've it. met someone who said he was training by walking uphill a couple of times a month like come on I was training six days a week twice a day and I was smashing myself for, a th- for like legit me. three months and then somebody co- and he didn't make it he didn't make it to camp one which which tells you about how inexperienced there are some people like who are trying to climb it, but it's for the glory at the same time, and it's it's a it's a human thing. It it gives you so much, like, things as a person, and like you want to get it from there, right? Um, but some uh, like other people for like their death going down, you're really exhausted after because you don't sleep for around forty eight hours. You nap basically if you can on altitude so when you make it to the summit super happy adrenaline amazing okay now you need to come down coming down is scary coming down was harder for me to be honest and i had to like put my full focus i was so excited to call my family and tell them i made it but at the same time i wanted to kill that excitement because yeah. I, I wasn't focusing right. i just want to go down i just want to go down you're on that adrenaline of actually making it to the yeah. summit and so now you have to focus again yeah bring it back down yeah just ground yourself and get exactly. back down exactly how and long does it take to get back down so from the summit to the south goal which is on camp four it took me around four hours wow and 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 so people are coming down it is crowded basically and, mm, and this there's is, one this rope is, going down and one rope going up so if some one person sits when we're going down we you see stacked people behind each other and I would go crazy sometimes. But yeah, it's scary because when you're ready to go up and then somebody's holding everyone up. I was behind one guy for an legit one hour on summer day at like one AM in the morning on around eight thousand six hundred meters probably, just waiting for him to move. Because he couldn't move. There's one rope and he was extremely tired. 
So like these things really ruin your whole experience. And he wasn't he wasn't experienced. It was very obvious. This is strange to me that there is no like minimum fitness requirement for people who want to climb Everest. Yeah, because you can hire extra Sherpas, extra oxygen bottle, extra whatever, and they would do whatever to take you to the top, which is really sad because this is not what mountain climbing is about. It's about pushing your limits. It's about seeing how far your body can go. It's about how mentally strong you can get. It's about so many things. Do you think social media has made it worse? Yeah. Because we see, like you said, people do it for the glory. Are people doing it for the gram? Yeah, yeah, I think. Okay, see, I don't know. Those who are doing it for gram uh, are uh, like, they're mentally strong as well. Because if you think about it, why would you want to be somewhere for two months? I showered four times. I don't know how many times they would shower. Hang on, hang on. Four, four times in two months you showered. Yeah, it's really cold. <laughs> and like showering is not easy up there. <laughs> With my hair, it's, oh. it, it, it takes me at least two hours to unknot it. <laughs> oh my gosh, the stuff we don't think about. <laughs> so like those people who want to do it for the gram, if they're willing to stay in that environment and risking their life just to get more followers, that's extremely sad. That is just insane. They don't. It is really unbelievable. I want to get uh, kind of finally your advice, you know, not just for people who want to climb a mountain, mm. but for people who want to overcome any obstacle in their lives. What would you say? Do it. Like, go do what scares you the most. I stopped uh, skydiving because I had an accident, but I went and did it again just to get over it. I don't like scuba diving because I don't feel comfortable under the water, but I keep on doing it because I do not want to be like fearful. Like, I don't want to fear anything. And it's not easy. I still have those things inside me, but just do what scares you and get, get try to get over it because it's going to open different doors. You know what scares you sometimes is going to make you like the person who you want to be in the future. Do it anyway. Yes. Do it anyway. Yes. Like you've said we need to go hiking and I might just take you up on that offer because I just I love that so much. And um, you're amazing. You're incredible. Uh, I love your story. Thank you. This energy is uh, just amazing and it's going out to the world now. Thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely fantastic. And we cannot wait to see what you do next, Tima. Hopefully Antarctica, if I get sponsored. Antarctica, everybody. Sponsors, if you're listening out there, (laughs) this is what she's looking for. She's incredible. You definitely want to get behind her. Thank you so much, Tima. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.